magnificent and wonderful Lord, we thank you for having brought us here together today. Thank you, Lord, for the word that we heard this morning. Thank you that you have provided a way through the tribulation that is facing us through every day, and that's through faith in Christ. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to share with each other the joy of what it is to know Christ and to live according to his word and live in faith in him. We ask you now that you be with us as we go through and study the this thing that people call the intermediate state, that we will have a better understanding about life after death and about the resurrection. Be with us now, Lord, and forgive us of our sins. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, I have been having a lot of trouble remembering things and doing things and, and keeping my mind clear. So I'm going to read the lesson today. I hope that you will forgive me for, for reading like this, but this is uh, something very important, and I'm afraid that I would really goof it up if I don't read it. First of all, uh, Casey, would you read chapter one, I mean, verse, uh, paragraph 1 and chapter 31? Oh, you don't have it. Okay. Uh, I got a copy. Okay. Uh, paragraph 1 and chapter... Th- paragraph 1? Yeah. Okay, and Adam, would you read paragraphs 2 and 3? Yes, sir. At the last day, such of the saints as are found alive shall not sleep, but be changed. And all the dead shall be raised up with the self-same bodies, and none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. The bodies of the unjust shall, by the power of Christ, be raised to dishonor. The bodies of the just, by his spirit, unto honor and be made conformable to his own glorious body. Amen. Well, you may have noticed through that reading that it wasn't too clear what he's talking about, what they're talking about, about the soul and about, and also they're the making some presuppositions. Well, I'd like to go through these presuppositions that the writers of the confession at that time said. First of all, there's man was created with a body and a soul. This is not just simply we're talking about the the body at this point. We're talking about the soul as well as the body. Secondly, all of Adam's descendants, they're, they're presupposing this, that you know this. All of Adam's descendants sinned in him as a consequence of being born spiritually dead. That is, this is a very real death. The third presupposition that they have here is that the souls of the elect mentioned in paragraph 1 were seen as being regenerate and having been raised from spiritual death into new life with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or in other words, this is the new birth. 
They also presuppose that you understand that physical death is the separation of the body from the soul uh, because it is the soul that enlivens the body. So when the Lord takes the body and the soul from the body, uh, the body dies of consequence, as a consequence. With this in mind, the first paragraph declares that we, are really, uh, we believe regarding life after death of the body and focuses primarily on the state of the believer's soul during the interim period of time between the death of the body and the return of Christ on Judgment Day. This interim period of time is generally referred to as the intermediate state and primarily applies to the souls of those who are in Christ at death. It does also speak of the death of the wicked, and they are not part of this enemy. They're just existing in the, uh, in the grave until the Lord comes in judgment. So we're dealing primarily here with the souls of the elect, those who die in grace. But as I implied in these presuppositions, the real issue here is the quality of life that believers live in Christ and when, uh, that this quality of life continues after death. It's not just simply that we exist, but it's a higher level, it's an upper plane of, of life. When you came to faith in Christ, you were regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit took up residence in you, giving you eternal life such that from that point in time, your soul was incapable of dying. And so we see that the first paragraph addresses three different topics. First, at death, the souls of the redeemed are made perfect in holiness and go immediately into paradise where they enjoy the blessings of having been raised with Christ, awaiting his return at the last day. Now we know of one other guy that went to paradise. Does somebody remember who else went to paradise? Did we have it stated specifically? The thief on the cross. Now, did he wait until after he, uh, he was raised from the grave? No. He, and did he wait till Christ was raised from the grave? No. He went immediately upon his death to be in paradise with Christ. Okay, so the second one is that the disembodied souls of the wicked suffer the torments of God's wrath and utter darkness and hell, and they await uh, the day of judgment. The third point is, Scripture knows of no other place where the souls of men, women, children, go after death other than either of these two, paradise and hell. This is important because Roman Catholicism teaches that there's a third place we go to, uh, and that's in purgatory. But we're saying, uh, we say in the confession here that there's no other place that you go. You either go to paradise to be with the Lord, or you go uh, to hell. In paragraphs 2 and 3, we confess that at the last day, the saints who are alive when Christ returns will not sleep in, spiritual, uh, in death, but will be transformed from being natural bodies into spiritual bodies. What in the world is a spiritual body? Can somebody tell me? Okay, his, his body was a spiritual body, but it, but it was also a physical body. Remember, uh, what, what do we know about uh, Thomas 
Frenchman when he appeared in that room. Thomas didn't believe that Christ would have been raised, right? And so he said, well, look, here's the nail prints. Put your hand here. The wound in my side. Put your hand here. So we see something very important there. You're going to have a physical body just like Christ has a physical body. But it's not going to be the physical body that you know. Well, it's going to be the same physical body, but it's not going to have the same characteristics that your physical body has now. That main characteristic that your body has now, it's a dying body. It's going, unless you're alive whenever Christ returns, it's going to still be a dying body until Christ returns. It's going to be a, a body in the grave. That's not true of your, of your souls. The souls are now with, uh, with Christ in glory. So the phrase, a natural body then, in 1 Corinthians uh, 15.44, does not refer simply to the physical body. Rather, the phrase is used as a metaphor to describe that aspect, that aspect of your humanity uh, which is suited for life in a sinful world and is in contrast to a spiritual body. In other words... Your body right now is suited to live here in this world. Is this world going to be accepted in the age to come or in the next world? No. There's going to have to be something changed about your body so that you can exist with God, with Christ, in glory. And that is what he means by the spiritual body. The spiritual body is the body that is conformed to that nature which will be acceptable to God and able to live with God in glory. Leon Morris put it this way, In this place, it signifies that the body we now have is a body suited for present life. It is adapted to the suke, that's the physical part of you, the rational principle of life. But such a body is ill-adapted for life in the world to come. For that, for that, a body is needed which is attuned to the spirit, in fact, a spiritual body. This does not necessarily mean composed of the spirit, but rather which answers to the needs of the spirit. It answers to the needs that you will have in the presence of God. Therefore, our resur- own resurrection morning, the bodies we had at death will be transformed and raised spiritual bodies, which will be glorified bodies conformed to Christ's glorious spiritual body. They will be bodies made suitable for life in the presence of God. But note this, just as Christ invited Thomas to touch his, uh, Christ's resurrected body, so will we be able to touch and feel one another. There's much more that can be said about chapter 31, but I wanted to go a little bit further and talk about something that the chapter does not uh, cover. Basically, uh, four things, if I remember correctly, I'm not going to be able to touch all four of them. But one of the main things that we uh, see here is that presupposition about what was the nature of the body in paragraph one. We had the presupposition that it had life. And that I'm emphasizing the point that the, or I'm trying to say that the confession emphasizes the point that we have life. The life that we have is the issue at this point. The first question that they, uh, that the um, men who put the confession together, 
that they ignored or passed by is a question dealing with the millennium. Now, uh, I don't want to make a big issue of that, but this, this is involved with the doctrine of uh, the resurrection. There are three basic uh, positions. One is premillennialism. The second is amillennialism. And the third is postmillennialism. Most of you are very familiar with the doctrine of premillennialism. Not many of you are familiar with, uh, I'm assuming this, from, from other discussions some of us have had, the, uh, the doctrine of amillennialism nor uh, postmillennialism. We can talk about those things at some later date. Uh, there are those of us here who have each one of those three positions. And anybody, we might even uh, have different individuals get together and talk about that in, that their different positions. But it would not be done for the sake of trying to uh, say which one is right and which one is wrong. The point is, actually, none of us know exactly how the millennium is going to work out. Uh, I personally believe that we're already in the millennium. Some of you would say, wait a minute, that's how in the world can you say that? Well, we have these certain pre-ideas of what the millennium is like. So we'll, we will talk about that later sometime if you desire to do that. You can come and talk to me about it. Uh, so those are the uh, three different positions. Now, there is another issue that has come up and... Uh, it's a very controversial issue, but I think it's one that we need to talk about in some kind of depth. And that is, your body needs to be changed, transformed, whenever Christ returns, so that you can go be in God's presence. Your, your soul needs also to be transformed when, you, uh, when your soul goes to be in the presence of God. Why do I say that? Well, think a minute about when David was talking in Psalm 51. He said, in sin, my mother conceived me. In other words, when you were conceived in your mother's womb, you were, you were conceived a sinner. You were, you were not in a state in which you could immediately go and be in the presence of God. Something had to be done to change you. And so that has, to, that has to do with the resurrection. But is only the body all that's going to be raised? Is that all that's going to be raised? I mentioned to you a while ago, and in one of the presuppositions here, the idea that uh, the, the soul was already regenerated prior to death, and that that regenerated soul is what is raised to be with Christ, when you die in the body. Your living soul is going up there. But when did your soul become alive? When did your soul become alive? If your soul at, uh, in conception, your soul was dead in trespasses and sin. Your soul... Now, uh, that's going to bring up another issue at some point where we talked about the elect infants... Uh, my, my viewpoint of Romans 5.14 greatly influences how I handle that issue. But the point is that everyone in this room, before you came to a saving knowledge of Christ, 
before I came to a saving knowledge of Christ, I, my soul was dead in trespasses and sin, just as my body was dead in trespasses and sin. And just as my body needs to be resurrected to, uh, to be in the presence of God, so does my soul. Okay, well then that brings up the issue. When is your soul changed? And are, can we call that a resurrection? To what extent is your soul changed? To what extent? Somebody want to tell me the answer? Your soul is changed to the extent that, uh, transformed to the extent that now, at this very instant, you can be present with the Lord if you die in the next 30 seconds. Your soul will not change at that point. So when did it change? When was it transformed? It was transformed in your regeneration at the point that you came to a saving knowledge of Christ. Now, this is important because this is what some theologians call, and I'm thinking of one particular one, Augustine uh, taught this also. That they say that your soul was actually resurrected at that point. Now, so what does the word resurrection mean here? Most of you understand that the word resurrection refers to the body being raised from death into life. What about your soul? Was your soul raised from death into life? So this is what, uh, what Augustine would call the resurrection of the soul. Some of you are more familiar with another term, and that term is spiritual resurrection. Uh, I have no objection to that term if what you mean in the spiritual resurrection is that the soul was transformed from being dead to being alive. It was raised from being dead to, to life. Now, uh, there are several verses that we have that uh, we can refer to to see how uh, Paul worked this out. Turn with me to, uh, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to read from verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. There you go. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's a past tense. You are no longer walking that way. I'm, I'm assuming that everyone here in this room is living by faith in Christ Jesus. You're not, well, you're not living by sight. You're living by faith. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our, of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and you've been raised up and raised up, and Christ raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Excuse me. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. And here's a strange word. Created. I thought God finished his creation on the seventh day, or actually the sixth day. But we are a new creation. We are a new creation in Christ. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the life that uh, we're talking about here. Now, turn with me to Colossians. Uh, No, Just like this, Romans. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. I turned to the wrong one. Romans chapter 6. And we'll read through verse 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So here we see buried, raised, life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, I'd like to make a little deviation here at this point and point out that your sanctification is dependent upon this. Your sanctification is dependent on the fact that you have new life in Christ. If you do not have new life in Christ, it's impossible for you to be sanctified. Now, you may have noticed here then that uh, you were buried with Christ. You were baptized into his death. By the way, that's not water baptism. That's where the Holy Spirit immersed you into Christ 
Yeah, now, wait a minute. Did I, I'm, I'm here right now. Did he immerse my body into Christ? No. He immersed me, the inner man, into Christ. He immersed me, the I. Uh, remember, uh, uh, Paul was saying in uh, the seventh chapter of Romans, he says, uh, it's not I who has done the sin, it's the, the sin in my body. Uh, let's, let's look over there since we're here. Romans chapter 7. Uh, I'm, I'm misquoting it, so we need to get it straight here. Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? Talking about the law. By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, that is the law, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is uh, good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, what in the world is Paul talking about here? Is he begging off? He's, He's passing the buck, shall we say? No. He's saying there's something about me that is different. And that something that is different cannot sin. It cannot sin. Therefore, it does not sin. Not in this context. Now, we do talk about another context in which we are still tied to, or shall we say, held captive by this body. And that's what Paul is talking about here. His soul, his spirit, is held captive to this body of death. And this body of death, if it's allowed to continue, would draw the soul down. But God does not allow that. He has raised the soul to be with Christ. We're going to see that in just a few moments. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. That's that's something that's other than this flesh, this body of flesh, this body of death. The inner being is being held captive by this body of flesh. He says, uh, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh. I serve the law of sin. And that's, your, that's, that's a picture of you right now. You are serving the law of God in a gracious and wonderful way 
in your mind, in your heart, in your inner being. But in the flesh, you're still struggling with that indwelling sin. And that's going to continue on until uh, you die. And then that flesh will be, uh, be put to death, will be done. And you will be raised at the last day with Christ in glory, in a glorious spiritual body. Now turn over to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I'm not going to read the entire thing because I'm running out of time. But look at verses 12 and 13 in Colossians chapter 2. Having been buried with him in baptism. Wait a minute. Was I there when he was baptized? I mean, uh, when, when he was buried? Well, yes. Were you there when he was buried? Yes. That's confusing. It's not intended to be confusing. It's making a distinction between you spiritually, all your sins were in Christ at the time he died on the cross. He bore all your sins, even though you had not yet been born. This is what is sometimes called uh, the predestinarian aspect of the resurrection of the soul. But it's a mystical union between you and Christ when he died on the cross. And you were baptized into his death just like you were raised with him and in his resurrection. Now, wait a minute. Where are you getting this, Woody? Uh, well, let me, let's finish on reading here a little bit more and then I'll, I'll show it to you. In verse 12 again, let's start at verse 12 again. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. So, you were, according to this passage here, you were, you were in Christ when he died on the cross, you were in Christ when he rose from the dead. Now let's look at it a little bit more and see if this is what, what else is said here about that. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. If then, now that word if really could be translated since, because he's talking to born again, regenerate Christians at this point. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. There's your, there's your sanctification. That's your motivation for being sanctified. is because you have been seated. Uh, you're in Christ who is seated. Where? At the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now let's look at one more passage. That's in Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ... 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The point here, brothers and sisters, is that you had to be raised to life in Christ before your body can be raised to life in glory with, with God. And when, when was this raising? This is when you were regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. You were raised in the image of God, in the presence of God. You were then, uh, you were raised from death. That's a very, I just got through pointing out that spiritual death, whenever you were conceived, you were really dead spiritually, but your body, your, uh, but your, your spirit, your soul is immortal. So this is a spiritual death, but it's a very real death. It's a death that will determine whether or not you go to heaven or to hell. If you, if you don't turn to Christ in faith, then that death warrants going to hell. So your resurrection then began with your coming to Christ in faith. And it's of such a nature that you remember that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. That first fruit concept is that there is a harvest. And that harvest is the resurrection. But when, when did that harvest begin? It began with Christ's death on the cross. And you were part of that harvest. You are part of that harvest. And when, is it, when are you going to be harvested into Christ? When he raised you up in, uh, in, your, in your soul to life and death, life in Christ. And so we see here two episodes of the harvest. The harvest began with Christ in his resurrection. And the end of, the, of that harvest is going to be in your resurrection, the, the resurrection of your soul, your, I mean, your body, such that all this else here is still part of the resurrection, meaning that your sanctification is dependent upon this resurrection. Your life is dependent right now, that you're living, is dependent upon that resurrection, that you came to Christ through faith, and that you're living in Christ now. This is what we, uh, what I've been talking about is uh, the resurrection of the soul. Some of you think of the res- uh, as being a spiritual resurrection. Well, that's true. It is a spiritual resurrection because it's a resurrection that's conforming you to the image of Christ. It's not a metaphor. It's not a metonym. It's a real joining you with Christ. Raising you from death into life. This is the first resurrection. The first resurrection, in other words, is your union with God in Christ. That's the, the first resurrection. That's the first resurrection that, uh, that our brother John was talking about in the book of Revelation. Christ is the resurrection. You remember in John chapter 11, when Mary was complaining about the death of Lazarus. She said, if you had been here, he would not have died. 
Well, he's going. He's not going to die forever. He's going to live again. I know that he's going to rise in the last day at the resurrection. Mary said. Uh, Martha said. Christ said. He looked at her and he said, "I am the resurrection. I am not that I will be uh, a few few days from here uh, in the garden that I'll rise." He's saying, "I am." the resurrection. Christ is the resurrection and the life. All who come to him in faith shall live. And if they die, if you die before he returns, you shall live again. That's the message of the resurrection. That's the message that chapter 31 is teaching today. I've run out of time. Does anybody have a question? Okay, go ahead. No. But that, that, because the resurrection is a physical resurrection on the last day. Correct. You're, you're absolutely, I'm not saying that. Neither am I saying, uh, you remember, I think it's in Second Timothy where Paul is given a bunch of guys, one of them's name was Hymenaeus, giving them a bad, bad time about teaching that the resurrection had already occurred. That was twisting what Paul was saying. The, what, has, what has happened is you're your soul has been raised, but the resurrection of the body is still off in the future. So both must be taught. If your body is, if your soul is not raised to life in Christ, neither will your body be raised to life in Christ. So in 31 says that the last day, those saints who are found alive will not sleep, but they will be changed. Is that referring to those saints who are physically alive, or are their souls are alive in Christ? Well, that's talking about the changing of the body. The conform, somebody would say the transformation of the body. So that this, the sin that has uh, been the death knell of your body, the sin, the sin that's making your body right now die. You are dying. That's, that's, the, that's the bad news. You're dying right now. But you're going to live. That's the good news. And it will be a perfect body. Just like your soul, to mention there in the first paragraph that your soul was perfected at the time when, you, when your body died and you, your soul went to be with Christ. It was perfected at that time. That brings, that brings up the issue that I don't have time to discuss is indwelling sin. But uh, that indwelling sin does not deny that you're alive. I, I, think, uh, I think there is... A, there, there is two cases there for the redeemed uh, in 32. 
31.3. The first case is they're living at the return of Christ. Uh, those are the saints who are found alive. Right? That's the case. And then, and then the second case, the second case is those who are dead, uh, their, their, their resurrected souls are in heaven. Does that make sense? But what does that mean by alive? Physically alive or yet spiritually alive? Yeah, the first sentence well, there. Okay. They're both. When when you're when when your body is raised, I'm sorry, I didn't mean no, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. Both is true. You are raised to physical life, but you're also raised that that life is now a spiritual, meaning just like we said your body I'll be able to touch your body in heaven. I'll be able to shake hands with you and feel your hand in my hand. The same thing is true about your life. It's going to be a ch- it's a changed life, but it's life. But what are you talking about before the resurrection in section two? I think, no. I think two words there help with that: yeah. the word saint and the word alive. So saint yeah, is just <laughs> yeah. So saint saint is a spiritual life. Right. Alive is a physical life. So right. Right. So, yeah, I kind of glazed over the saints, and that's implying yeah, people who are spiritual. Sorry, I skipped over that. <laughs> Anything else? Any other questions? I know it sounds kind of weird and everything, but you need to realize that the resurrection is your whole resurrection. It's not just your body being resurrected. It's you body and soul that are that's resurrected. We speak of the resurrection of the body because the soul is already present with God in heaven. I have worked up a diagram to try to describe this. Uh, it's copied after Gerhardus Voss's diagram. I just added some stuff to it uh, and I made some notes on the back. Uh, I'll have several copies of it here if you want a copy. You're welcome to come and get it. But this is describing, and it's describing the life that we're living more so than the resurrection. The resurrection is unto life. The emphasis is life. Okay? Anything else? Uh, Well, let's go to the Lord and uh, ask Him to bless us.